This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Father, we thank you for your peace, a peace that does surpass our understanding. This morning as we stand before you, Lord, we ask that you would rivet our attention on the things of the Spirit, that you would help us to break through those things that are natural, those things that are fleshly. And that, Father, we might become the sons of God, the very thing you apprehended us for, may we apprehend. The very thing that you saved us for, may we come to a realization of not only who you are, but who we are in Christ Jesus. Father, illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds. Father, I ask that you would use my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, that I might write on the tablets of men's hearts. That, Father, you would give us hearts of stone, hearts, hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. Father, we would be able to hear and respond to the good news of your gospel. We pray for this, we ask it, we believe it, and we do so in the name of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come into this place now, illuminate your word, the word of God, to us in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Grab two or three people, give them a hug, a handshake, your wife or an elbow tap if that's your custom. Hallelujah. Go ahead and take your seats. God bless you. Thank you. This morning I have a message and I want to welcome all those online. And I'm going to encourage some of you online to start coming to church now. Uh, there's a lot of us here and there's room for a whole lot more. So we want to encourage you to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Don't get too comfortable doing church in your pajamas. Go ahead, tap your wife and tell her, say, see, I told you he knows. He sees in that key. See, I can see the other way. You know that those televisions have cameras on them. We want to encourage you to come and be part of our services. Get back into fellowship. Some of you just grown kind of lazy. It's kind of like, ah, oh, it's easy just to stay home. Well, it may be easier to stay home, but you're, you're missing an incredible atmosphere here. How many of you enjoyed the atmosphere this morning? Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let them hear it on television. Come on, give them a good hand. Anyway, we need each other. We need to be together, and I want to encourage you to come and be with us. This morning, I'm going to be talking on a very, very important subject for all of us and for every believer. In fact, if you don't have this topic, the idea behind it at least, in your spirit, if it's not part of you, you cannot be a successful Christian. That's how important this is. The message this morning I'm entitling, Pushing Back. Pushing Back. And, you know, so many people think that, hey, Christianity is this kind of passive religion. We just love each other and, well, you know, uh, we just obey everybody. And whatever anybody says, we just roll over and, you know, turn the other cheek. Well, there's a place to turn the other cheek. There's a place to love those. But let me tell you something. There's also a place to stand up and say no. There's a time to say I'm not going to do that and a time to push back. And I think we need to get that really clear because the Bible's very clear on the subject. If you do not resist the devil, he will not flee from you. 
You have to push back against devilish things. You have to push back against the devil. Now just tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you this morning. No, I didn't say they're the devil. I'm just saying that we need to push back against the devil and each of us needs to learn how to do that. Amen? So I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. Now we're going to start here and then I'll finish with this verse. But there's, there's a reason for it. I want you to see something. How many of you know there's an intensity to pushing back? Okay, that's one of you. How about the rest of you? 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. And uh, this is an incredible story. Uh, King uh, Elisha is on his deathbed, and he's, as he's about to die, the king of Israel comes to him, and, and, and they're being attacked, and, and uh, you know, Israel's always in trouble. And so the prophet gets out of his deathbed and says, okay, he says, Open the, indo, the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. But you have to understand, when the prophet did this, he put his hands on the king's hands and said, shoot, eastward. He was uh, imparting something. And then as he shot the arrow, the prophet said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria and for you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have consumed them. Now, isn't that a good prophecy? How many of you would like a prophecy over your life that you will defeat your enemies, your enemies will go down in infamy, you will destroy your enemies, and God even tells you the time and place that he's going to do that? How many of you would like a prophecy like that? Well, you've all been given that prophecy. And you know what? We love the prophecy, but we forget the second part here. Listen to what happens. And then said the king, then he said to the king of Israel, take the arrows, and he took them. And he says, smite them on the ground. And he smote them three times, thrice, and stopped, stayed. And the man of God was wroth. Do you know what wroth is? Have you ever seen somebody wroth? He was angry. He was upset. And he said, you should have smitten five or six times. Then you would have smitten Syria until you had consumed it. Whereas of now you only shall smite them three times. Can you see something here? There's a part that God plays. He sends forth the prophecy. He sends forth the power. But he says there's a part you must play. There's got to be some intensity in what you do. Many of us are just like that. We resist until there's a... We have so little in us. Where's the intensity? As we study this passage of Scripture, I, th I believe that the setting, the time, is very much like the times we're facing today, in which God's people are seeking for his intervention. God, please, do something. The king was seeking the judgment that would set free the people of Israel from the threats of their oppressors. How many of you know that we're more oppressed today than we've probably ever been? Especially here in Zimbabwe. You know, we, we got liberated into the hands of the oppressor. <laughs> you'll, you'll wake up and get that one in the morning, okay? <laughs> the times that you and I are living in currently are marked by evil. 
Although people are forced to wear masks today in the natural to fend against this so-called disease, COVID, which is not very bad of a disease by all measures, world death, pop, death, death rates haven't gone up much more than average around the world with this dreaded pandemic. But I'm not talking about the masks that you're forced to wear. I'm talking about the masks and the subtleties of those that are advancing the darkness. How many of you know their masks are being removed? Today you're seeing darkness for what it really is. You're seeing the subtleties of the wickedness of leaders, the wickedness of, of governments, the wickedness of, of the, the big pharma companies, the wickedness of some of the, the uh, industrial complex, the military industrial complex, the wickedness of militaries around the world uniting to oppose and oppress people. Militaristic nations, more and more authoritarian and totalitarian government, less and less freedoms, and their masks are being removed. Those who call that which is good evil and they call that which is evil good are now ashamed, becoming shamed. Because truth is coming out. How many of you know that propaganda has kind of a glitter to it? Hey, when you're listening to the news and it's all the propaganda, which is all the news, by the way, all of the news that you listen to is propaganda. It's controlled by a handful of people. Turn on every news station. How come they say exactly the same words all around the world? That's what propaganda looks like, folks. So you have to get your news from somewhere else. Let me tell you something, if you're going to get truth. But there's enough truth coming up now that they're even shutting down social networks because they don't want you to get that truth. But they're being unmasked. And the unmasking is coming faster than they can cover it up now. And how many of you know that it's always the cover-up of a lie that catches you? It's never the lie. You can get away with a lie. But when you start covering it up, that's when you get caught. And these guys are getting caught right, left, and center. But that's what God's plan is. Today we're seeing the flaunting of authoritarian mandates around all kinds of issues. Very few people can withstand, though, critical thought. Most of these arguments cannot withstand critical thought. But many people don't want critical thought. They're just going with the mandates. Nonetheless, fear-driven, often faithless people are oppressing more and more people and with more dire consequences each and every day that passes. Here's what I want you to understand today. There are requisites for God's people if the hand of the oppressor is to be lifted from their neck. This morning, we will look at some of those requirements. The story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. I don't, I'm not going to have you turn there, but you know the story very well. Covers insights into some of these requisites. After David had killed Goliath, I think you all remember that story. This great young warrior, he goes to the front lines. In fact, he's not a warrior. Daniel was so good in his message during our synod. If you haven't heard that message, you need to listen to it. But here, David was just a little shepherd boy. He wasn't even invited to the war. And after 40 days of the, the enemy intimidating and, 
and coming out and giving a speech both morning and night, Goliath would come out from the ranks of the Philistines and give his speech. And his speech got better and better every week, every day. I think he'd add more flavor to it, much like our newspapers and much like our, our press. They, they, they intimidate with words. And at the end of his speech, he'd go, and Israel would run every day. For 40 days, they'd been running. Twice a day, they'd line themselves up for battle. He'd give a speech, they'd run, and they'd go back to the camp. And I'm sure they were critiquing what they saw on the news. Hey, did you hear that? Oh, did you hear that? Oh, did you hear this? And little David walks in. He hasn't been listening to the news. He's been in the shepherd's field listening to God. He's been worshiping the Lord. He's writing psalms, songs, and spiritual songs. And he walks into the battlefield and he sees Israel. He says, in fact, he gets to go out for that last battle. And he, he goes out with the Israel and he's waiting for the war. He says, oh man, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And, and we all run. He said, hey, well, what's going on? Why are you running? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy Almighty God? Why are we listening to some of these uncircumcised Philistines that are devil worshipers? They're, they practice devil worship, and yet you listen to them like they're going to tell you the truth. They're known devil worshipers. They are known. Even some in our own government are known devil worshipers. How could the light or truth be in them? And yet, when they speak, it's like you're fearful. What, of what? Of an uncircumcised, ungodly devil worshiper. When do we push back? When do you stand up and say, let God be true and every man a liar? These men glory in their worship of the devil. Speaking openly of it today. And we call ourselves a Christian nation. Well, let's see the Christians now. So David rises up. You know the story. So he he goes out and he says, well, listen, God helped me kill a lion. He helped me kill a bear. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Saul, the great Christian leader, the great pastor, trembling in his, under the pomegranate tree with a few of his men, sees this young man and says, here, take, take my armor. Go, you, yeah, you, you go fight. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, if, if we lose him, who cares, you know? The next thing, David goes out, says, I don't need your armor. He says, just give me my sling. Goes out, Foop! it's all over. The war's over. The Philistines run. The Israelis get courage all of a sudden. It just takes one or two of us to stand up and say, no, that's enough. Are you listening? The Bible's here for a reason. So David becomes this man of renown throughout the land. And in fact, it makes Saul jealous. The, 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 the ladies in the church start singing a song. You know, 
He'd come into town, all the ladies in the church, the choir, the girls, the, 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 it was the ladies, really. They, there was the, uh, the altos and the sopranos. They'd come out and they'd say, David got his ten thousands where Saul got his thousands. Hey, let me tell you something. It wasn't a happy day for Saul. Saul Saul's heart got jealous. He got envious. And uh, his promotion meant that he got in over his head and the odds became overwhelming. And we see that eventually Saul is so upset that he becomes demon-possessed and he starts throwing spears at David. And so David says, I think I should check out of the palace for a while. And he flees for his life. And you have to understand, David did all he could to reconcile and to, uh, to respond to Saul in honorable ways. But Saul was bent on crushing David. So David hits this very low point in his life and in his calling. And he gives in to his flesh and he walks away from his anointing. He walks away from his calling to seek safety. But let me tell you something. It's a very dangerous thing for a Christian to walk away from their anointing, from their calling to seek safety. And here's what happened to David. He got so bad that he even went and aligned himself with the Philistines. Remember who just killed Goliath, their champion? David is now in the camp of the Philistines. The arch enemies of Israel. The arch enemies of David. How did he get there? How do you get into the camp of your enemy? If ever someone was flying by the seat of their pants, in this case it was David. Of course, David's cavorting with the Philistines came to an abrupt halt. As they're going to go to battle, one of the Philistines, the one guy who's vouching for David said, no, he's had a turn of heart. He's with us. Says, no, no. He says, if we go against the Hebrews, we know this guy will turn against us, and he's in our own ranks. We don't want him with us. And so they kick him out. So now David has nowhere to go. So he decides he's going to go back home, and his home is in a place called Ziklag. And he takes about 600 of his men, a ragtag army of guys, and they go back to a place called Ziklag. Upon returning, they discover that Ziklag has been raided by the Amalekites. Now, anytime you see the word Amalekite in the Bible, it always is in a reference to the flesh. See, when you allow yourself to get out from under the covering of the Holy Spirit, when you get out from under the shield of God, when you... When you, when you are willing to go into the enemy's camps, guess what? The flesh is always going to rise up and defeat you. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think his preaching's better than your amening this morning. Did you get that? So the Amalekites have come in and they have raided Ziklag and they've taken everything. They've burned the city. They've taken David's and all of his men's Women, their wives, their children, their cattle, their goods, everything's gone. They've lost everything. This was a time of utter despair. And there was no foreseeable hope. Not even for the next step. David had no idea what to do. David's army, his 600 men were so discouraged that they spoke of stoning David. David, the future king and leader, had hit an all-time low. 
But this event proved to be the turning point in David's life. In fact, his calling and those who followed him began to see something that changed their whole perspective in the way that they followed David. The scripture tells us that at this moment, in the face of revolt, when David was at the point of quitting, David did something that changed everything. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired of the Lord. It goes on to say the word of the Lord came to him and told him that he should pursue, push back against the enemy, and that everything would be recovered. See, it was a time to reach beyond hopelessness and despair. It was time to push back. Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Those are powerful words. You see, when we're faced with low points or situations that are marked by despair, this is the time we must press through the crowd of all the issues. We must reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. First, we must reach to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I'm shocked at how many Christians today are not strong in the Lord. In fact, they're weaker today than they've ever been. They've become double-souled, double-minded, fearful. They, they don't know what to believe, and they're not reading their Bibles anymore. They're, 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 they're watching four, six, eight hours a day on social media, but they can't get 30 minutes of Bible in it. You don't strengthen yourself on social media, I'll tell you what, but you do social, strengthen yourself in the Word of God. Put your social media aside and give six hours to the Word of God. You'll come out strong. Amen? Amen? See, we must inquire of the Lord. Who's inquiring of the Lord? What is God saying? We must hear his command. Then we must mobilize and strengthen those around us. See, it's often those that are following us that are watching us. I don't know if you noticed, but I don't do very well with the mask mandate. I've studied too much. I've read those little flimsy things you're wearing do absolutely, well, next to nothing. They may, they, they may, they may give you a little bit of, I don't know, maybe it makes you feel good about yourself, I don't know. But they do absolutely nothing. And now the science is coming out, real science, not, not, not a bunch of hocus pocus. Real science is coming out, and they're showing that the virus, so-called, is smaller than any pore in that mask. So much so that you're asked, actually, by using a mask, you're aspirating it. It's making it worse, in other words. The mask doesn't help. Besides that, it makes you more susceptible to every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, every kind of bacteria. Have you seen some of the masks that you wear? You haven't washed it in a month, and that thing, you put it on your face, I'm thinking, oh my God, you're, put, you're putting that on your face? Oh my God. What is wrong with you? And then this thing of, you know, you're a brother or a sister in the Lord, and you walk up to me with your elbow. Oh, really? 
I'm not giving you my elbow. I'll give you a hug. But you're not getting my elbow. That's for dang sure. I better leave that alone, shouldn't I? See, people that are following us are looking at you. I was at a wedding yesterday. All, many of you were there, all the brothers and sisters. Everywhere I went, I was a liberated one, hugging, kissing, having, hey, they were having a party, man. We're having a wedding. Oh, what if you're a super spreader? Look, 99% of people that get COVID get over it. We're all going to get it one way or another. You're all going to get COVID, by, by the way. Did you know that? You're all going to get it. Vaccinated, guess what? That doesn't keep you from getting COVID. Unvaccinated doesn't keep you from getting COVID. We're going to get it. I've had it. I got over it. I was sick. Got over it. Now I got natural immunity. What's wrong with natural immunity? Think about it. Think about it. No, no, if you don't take the vaccine, you, what, what, what if I don't take the vaccine? I've got natural immunity. Yeah, but you, what about you're not protecting us that have taken the vaccine? You took the vaccine to be safe. So what are you worried about? I'm not worried. I haven't had the vaccine. I'm not going to take it. I'm not worried about it. Why are you worried about it if you vaccinated? But we have to reach herd immunity. I've had it. I, I, I have, I'm immunized. I have a natural immunity. Herd immunity is going to take place. Herd, 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 whatever it's called, is going to take place. Just use, it's called common sense. We need to start using a little bit of common sense. I, I can't fathom some of the arguments, and we can't even debate it. We can't even have a sit down and talk about it. It's time to push back. It's time to say, wait a minute. I'm willing to listen to you if you're willing to just listen to a few things that I happen to found that you're not talking about. Like we have 100% of your information. How about, about just give us 50% of ours? There's some pretty heavy stuff out there. Like the head of Pfizer, the guy that made the vaccine, got up and said, don't give this anymore. That's pretty heavy stuff. Why isn't that out everywhere? There's some heavy stuff coming down, guys. I think it's time for us to stop and say, wait a minute. And besides that, how many fake vaccine cards are there? <laughs> it's a joke, guys. It's a joke, I understand. It's, get, it's getting more ridiculous by the, world, by the minute. We need to start dealing in truth. We need to stand up and have real, honest-to-God conversations, and we need to stop all this nonsense. I know this is online. I know people are going to hear it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of telling you the truth. But the thing we must do first is to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Then we must inquire of God. Where are the prayer meetings? Where is the nation being called to prayer? No, we don't seek God. We seek some, what? W-H-O? 
mandate? That corrupt organization? The whole world knows it's corrupt. We all know it's corrupt. Everybody knows how corrupt it's become. True? But we'll listen to them, corrupt men, but we won't seek God. We need a word from God. Then we need to hear what he says, mobilize and strengthen our brothers and sisters around us, and we need to encourage a time to push back now. Now, the, the, despite the way we, things may seem in the natural or things that we've seen our fellow believers succumb to, this is where we all must stir ourselves up. We must be ready to push back. It's time. It's time. We must understand that if we're going to see a turning from the upheaval of the enemy in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, and in our country, we'll have to follow the pathway that was spoken of by Jesus. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, we can't confuse this with taking things into our own hands and working them out in the flesh. See, even Jesus warned us that the way of the kingdom would be a narrow one and it'd be difficult to navigate. And the, the way of the kingdom is a pathway that uncovers the areas that defile, the areas uh, that are corrupt both inside of us and in the world. It unmasks anything that remains that hinders us from our callings. How many of you know that the face that God deals with is in our own hearts first? Judgment begins in the house of God. God starts dealing with his saints so he's, we have to understand how this thing works. Now, we may be pushed to the wall by a situation, but through humility, repentance, forgiveness, we can close the gap and be healed from the bondages of the hidden and residual sins and the weights, and we can be released from them. We can do that individually. We can do that as a church. We can do that in our homes, in our families, even in our businesses, and we can do that as a nation. This was evident in David's dealings. Although he had received a word from the prophet Samuel when he was just a young boy, and he had been anointed as king, he did not step into that anointing, nor did he step into that calling until Ziklag. Ziklag became the turning point for his life. It got so bad that he just said, no, no, no. He says, I've been clever, I've done all I could, I've used my gifts, I've used my talents. He says, now I'm gonna trust in God. I'm gonna not do anything without a word from God. Ziklag became David's turning point. This is when it began for him. This is when his ascent began. This is when he began to come from the pit as a Joseph to the palace, if you will. From the prison. Why? Why did this happen? Well, this is when David chose. He made the decision. He chose to strengthen himself in the Lord. He chose to seek God for a word. And he chose to seek the Lord for the next steps. Every one of you need to do the same thing. You need to seek the Lord. You need a word from God. And you need to do what he tells you to do. What are the next steps for you, for your family? You see, it was here that David recognized his reality, the reality of his own weakness. He realized that without the Lord, there was no hope. Let me tell you something. There is no hope without God. It's in times like these that our humility is humbled. 
Some of you would get that at lunch. That was better than, I, that was actually better than what you responded to. It's when your humility gets humbled. This is the juncture in which the Lord answered David and told him to push back. And the steps that followed proved true. And David and his men recovered all that had been captured and then some. They got the spoils of pursuing their enemy. One thing that must be understood, although the pursuit and the victory over the enemy was successful, it was just the beginning of what God had in store for David. It was the beginning of David's calling. And the rest didn't happen all at once. This was the point at which it turned around. This was the point at which it began. When David began to push back, this was the point that things began to turn. The tide turned. There's always a tipping point. There's always a point when people have had enough. There's a point when people say, this is enough. There's a point when people say, we're not doing this anymore. There's a point when you stand up as your family and you say, we're not doing this anymore. There's a point when you push back. Whether it's against the devil, whether it's against unfair mandates, whether it's against craziness that's going on in the world, you stop and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A scripture that always has encouraged me and that I see at work here in David's life is found in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the the 9th verse. Paul writes this. He says, he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, I'll tell you, there's times I've been so weak and I feel the strength of God rise in me. I tell you what, it's great when God makes you strong. When his grace is sufficient for you. When you sense his grace on your life. When you say, oh, it's your grace, Lord, I thank you. You see, when God brings you to the place of turning in your life or in your ministry, it is usually quite subtle. It's not some big thing. It's usually when you're at the end of your roots. It's often the place of challenge, and it's filled with snares. The place of challenge is full of snares, and I'd like to just give you a few of those snares. There's the snare of giving up. There's the snare of working things out in your flesh, being so clever that you think you can get around this thing by just being fleshly. There's the snare of failing to face the turning in a spiritual way, head on. See, spiritual things are faced head on. The snare of choosing the wide path in the natural realm without a word from the Lord for your next steps. The snare in failing to recognize that in our weaknesses, his strength will be made manifest. His strength will be made strong in our lives. You know, when I was in Bible school, we had a bunch of old-time Pentecostal preachers that would come through, and and they always talked about something. Our instructors talked about a place in the Spirit that they would refer to as somewhere that they called beyond the veil. We must go in beyond the veil. And I'm thinking, (laughs) to be honest with you, I'm thinking, peculiar language. This is peculiar language, beyond the veil. What does that mean? I don't think I fully understood it at the time what they were speaking about, 
But today I want to describe to you what I think they meant and from my own understanding of what it means for us as believers to enter beyond the veil. Beyond the veil is a place in which the early apostles resided during the time of the post-resurrection church. Those early church days were amazing days, insomuch that the Bible says that these apostles gave themselves to focus on the issues that really made a difference. The Bible said, we must not wait on tables. So they chose some amongst them that were full of the spirit and full of skills and full of talents that were willing to wait on tables to do the menial tasks of taking care of the orphan and the widow and, and the day-to-day details of running a church so that they could give themselves to the word and to prayer. Man, when you see the judgments that those early church fathers made, the early leaders of the church, they were accompanied by a flow of the Holy Spirit that was unbelievable. And there was an anointing. And there was a great power manifested. Not only in the decisions that they made, but also in their ministry to the people. Their judgments were not based on personal issues or hurt feelings or they weren't prompted by uh, politics. They were prompted by the leading and the persuasion of the Holy Spirit by God himself. Of course, the contrast of this is King Saul. King Saul, who was David's nemesis. He was angered at the mix of David's anointing and acclaim. And because he because of David's ascendancy and his seeming descendants, he wasn't. He was still a king. And David was honoring of the king. He sought to destroy David. He became jealous. But it was Saul's own blind spots. It was his own obsessions with the trivial. His reluctance to re- reach out to God for the real standard of his kingship. His real standard and his own mantle as king. And these were the root of his insecurities. These things combined to bring about the very things that he feared the most. And they tormented him. So much so that he opened himself up to a devil. He became demon-possessed in the way that he attacked and went after David and David's men. See, righteousness stirs up the devil. And if we're unwilling to press into God, if we're unwilling to go beyond the comfort of our own flesh, our feelings, and our emotions, we will be destined to be controlled and mastered by our own flesh. We must learn to press beyond the veil of our flesh into the realm of the Spirit. This is where we're going to hear from God. This is where we're going to gain victories over our enemies. You're not going to gain victories over your enemies from the mouth of a prophet. You're not going to gain your victories even from good preaching in this church. It's when you and your family determine to get before God, press through your comfort zone, press through the veil of your flesh that is lazy, that wants to watch TV, that wants to do everything, that wants somebody else to be responsible, somebody else to make the decision. And you decide to press through, get a hold of God, get in the spirit and get a word from God. Find out what the next steps are and then do them. Leadership in the church was serious business. I think it should still be. It was marked by those who loved not their own lives unto death. 
So powerful was their commitment to walk in the Spirit that their shadows were even to repel darkness. Acts 5.15 says, Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And you understand that it wasn't his shadow, it was his aura. It was the anointing of God that was so on his life that if he walked down a street, it didn't matter which way the sun was shining, it was that his, uh, the anointing was healing people. We need that today. We need men of God that will pay that price. Pray that price. Hear from God. I cannot understand how a pastor can stand up and tell his congregation to get a vaccine. I can't understand it. And even open their churches as vaccine centers. That is ridiculous. My job is not to tell you what to do. My job is to preach till you come to faith. And if you've come to the place that you have faith in that vaccine, then you'd better take that vaccine. But if you haven't come to faith in taking a vaccine, let no man, no job, no person, no government coerce you. Because coercion is the worst thing. Fear is the worst thing to drive it. If you've taken the vaccine by fear, you're cursed already. You've cursed yourself. Because you'll never be able to stop. Because there'll be a booster, and then there'll be a this, and there'll be a that, and, and you're already on a slippery path. But if you've done it by faith, well, then I encourage you, stay in faith. Stay in faith. Because faith... Did, what does God say? I'll tell you what, you get a word from God, you can do anything in God. But you don't have a word from God, you're weak already. These are perilous times. These vaccines are all experimental drugs. They say so. They're all experimental. We don't know what the results are going to be. We don't know. We may not know. It may take 10 years before we see what really happened by vaccinating people. We don't know. Me personally, I'm willing to take the risk of not having a vaccine. I believe in natural immunity. I believe that God gave me a beautiful body. has all kinds of things in it. This is a man-made disease. That's been proven. And now we have a very short-term, one-year Delta, man-made cure. And we don't know what it does. Well, hey, it may be good. It may. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying it's not good for me. Now, it's up to you. You decide. But whatever, here's my point. I will stand by my convictions, but I expect you to stand by yours. But don't let it divide us. The church is for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. We're not here to de debate what you did or what you're going to do. What we're here to do is we're to say, do it by faith. Whatever you do, do by faith. Amen? See, the, the mantle that came on these early church leaders centered on authority. An authority that came because they, first of all, ruled their own spirits to the degree that there was no hint of their leadership deviating from the will of God. 
I love when, when men are determined to obey God at all costs and do what God tells them to do. In fact, because of this pure and profound authority, we see that judgment in the early church came very quickly. Whenever the standard that was being established by the Spirit was either manipulated or compromised, God brought judgment very quickly. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Boom! I mean, Ananias did what Barnabas did. He sold a piece of land and pretended to give the full amount. Barnabas gave the full amount. Ananias pretended, but he withheld some, and he was in collusion with his wife. And then they pretended in front of the church, in front of God, in front of the Holy Spirit, hey, we're just like Barnabas. We want the same acclaim Barnabas got. Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, says, uh, excuse me, did, was this not your property? Was it not everything yours? And Why do you pretend? Why do you lie to the Holy Spirit? Boom, and he falls dead. His wife comes in a few minutes later. They've just buried her husband. Boom, she falls dead. See, I'll tell you what, when there's a Holy Ghost judgment, when there's a Holy Ghost church, when we rise up and we have a word from God, guess what? The battle is the Lord's. We haven't seen that for a while. We've been so clever in our own. And I confess my sin. I've been such a very clever pastor. I believe we've been led of the Spirit much of what we've done, but I think we've also just saw some things and say, that looks good, let's do it. And you could for a season. You can do those things. But we need a word from God if we've ever needed one today. Amen. God's judgment is decisive, swift. Acts chapter 5, it describes the quick judgment by the Spirit of God and what happened. And then here's what it says. It says, in great fear, came upon all the church and all those that heard these things. There'll be a day when great fear comes upon a nation because of what God's doing in that nation. Let's go back to David for just a bit. I'm going to close. David was always a man who was reaching for the Spirit. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart after God. David never lacked in his willingness to spiritually reach beyond himself. To reach beyond the veil of the comforts of his flesh. But his true mantle to lead started in a little town called Ziklag. Where he tapped and entered the realm that was beyond himself. As he did, David became the standard bearer for God's kingdom rule. The turn came. And the spiritual traction began when David was depleted of all he had in the natural. Then in the place beyond himself, a place beyond his flesh, beyond the veil of his flesh, having been given a word from the Lord, he acted on it. And he pushed back. He pushed back. There are many in the body of Christ today that are at this same juncture in their lives. Many of you that are on television listening to us. Many of you that are listening Right here in this auditorium, you're at this juncture in your life. You're at the point of turning, and you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You need to get a word from God, and you need to push back. The season we're living in is not unlike the times of the early church when it first gathered. The days then as today were evil. The response required and that is needed today is more than the best that the flesh can offer. We don't need a better fleshly answer. It needs people who are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Leaders who will arise and lead 
under his anointing. This is what it means to come to a place of maturity. Leaders and people alike who are genuinely responding to God's callings. Having been refined in the fire of testing. All coming together to nurture and lead not only the church but a society that needs a moral compass more than ever before. And there is maturity in the whole body of Christ, or at least a remnant. There comes a dynamic that requires a higher standard of living, a higher standard of leadership. Listen to what Jesus, in Matthew 28, listen to what Jesus said. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Those are powerful words. It's the Great Commission. Not a great suggestion. It's a command. We need mature believers to carry this out. This is the same juncture that we find ourselves in at this very moment in time. A paradigm has shifted. Now the standard must be raised as people of God. We need to push back as a society of leaders. We need to become a society of leaders at every level. We need gardeners that can lead, educators that can lead, politicians that can lead, business people that can lead, pastors that will lead. business people, lawyers, every field, every spectrum of our society, every domain needs leaders. Not a few voices, but as one man, as one voice. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Many have arrived at this moment in history like David when he arrived at Ziklag, depleted, on empty, having been flying by the seat of their pants. Ziklag is a place where despair is replaced with humility and iniquities are overcome. It's a place of turning for leaders. It's a place where charisma tied to human effort and exploits gives way to embracing the kingdom standard. And it's a place where we arise to begin to lead leaders. Ziklag is the place where the shift takes place. In David's life, the shift went from focusing on himself to focusing on the kingdom. So must it be in our lives today. The shift is a process that needs to combine with wisdom. We can glean some of the wisdom from what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is often used to describe categories of individuals, but it can also be used to describe the progressive steps towards growth. And it outlines the processes of becoming people of God, both individually and more importantly, corporately. God spoke, Jesus spoke this to a corporate group, a large mass of people. And listen to what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we see from being poor in the spirit and mournful, being the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful and the pure in heart, to the peacemakers and the persecuted. What a progression. Here's the amazing thing. You can do this study on your own. I won't do it today. It's a good message. But we see this reflected again in the book of Revelation where the resurrected Jesus brings correction and judgment to the seven churches. Although these words were directed to specific segments of the church in that day, these words reset the standard that God uses to mobilize communities, to mobilize leaders for God. In fact, they almost follow the same pattern as the Sermon on the Mount. Even for the brothers and sisters in the Philadelphian church, those who were trusted peacemakers, and for the brethren in Smyrna, the suffering and persecuted church, they received words of encouragement. The words were serious, and they raised the standard higher. You see, Jesus never gives his people a call to shrink back. He never calls you to give up. He never calls you to waver. He always calls you to go higher. He encourages us to push back. God's ways are always progressive. They're always based on our reaching beyond ourselves, even when we feel like everything's been depleted. God's ways are not based on what we can do for God, but rather what we will allow him to do through us. The church in Sardis poor in spirit, known for their prophetic gifts, had failed in their watchfulness, resulting in a spiritual focus that was considered as being dead. Here, this church that was once alive is now dead. Pergamos, the meek, had allowed the entrance of confusion and had fallen into doctrinal compromise. Ephesus, who had been known for their hungering and thirsting after righteousness, had become complacent and lost their first love. Laodicea, the merciful, had become seduced by their own accomplishments, and they replaced their zeal with cautious and lukewarmness. Their approach was, well, let's not rock the boat. We've become prosperous now. You know, let's not be hot or cold. God says, you're lukewarm. I'll spew you from my mouth. Thyatira, the pure in heart, whose spiritual fire and works knew no bounds. We're now experiencing defilement due to the infiltration of unchecked influences in their ranks, especially in their leadership. You know, when I read how Jesus dealt with each of these churches, not one of them was exempt from having the standard raised in their life. We must understand that it's never about position or past accomplishment. We can't rest on our laurels each of us individually, and the church corporately, even universally, will be judged according to our individual and corporate responses to the grace of God that's been extended to us, and to the abilities and the gifts that he's afforded to each and every one of us. That's how we're going to be judged. One day you'll stand before God. He's going to say, listen, I graced you. I gifted you. What did you do with the talents I gave you? You wicked 
servant. Or are you faithful servant? Enter into my joy. This is how the kingdom of God advances. It involves getting beyond ourselves, beginning to face the realities, and then together pushing back. You know, there comes a time when the Spirit of God himself draws a line in the sand. Well, I'll tell you what, I've seen that a couple of times. God draws a line in the sand. But that will not happen until leaders anointed and called at every level arise beyond operating within their own strength and press beyond their flesh. When we can transcend the threshold of operating in our own ability, then and only then will we really demonstrate the humility and reach, the necessary, and, and, and reach necessary to advance to the next level. Humility and reach are two different things. And then it will be met by the accompanying salvation and the power and the move of the Holy Spirit. God's looking for a people he can show himself strong to. But we've got to be beyond our flesh. Now I started reading, and I'm going to close now, by reading about the prophet Elijah, what he did just before he died with Joash, the king of Israel. He said, open the window Easter, and he opened it, and then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek until you have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows, take, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite the ground, and he spoke thrice and stayed. The man of God was wroth with him and said, thou should have smitten five or six times. Then, hadst thou, then you would have smitten Israel, or excuse me, Syria, until it had been consumed. Whereas now you shall only smite them three times. See, I want you to understand something. This passage has to do with applying God's strategy, applying it sufficiently so that we can participate, doing our part in the right way so that He can accomplish the turning. He can accomplish things in His way. If we'll do our part, the way he wants us to. He'll bring the victory. The battle is the, 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 battle is the Lord's, but he are, we're co-laborers with him. He needs us to do our part. If we will not resist, the devil will not flee. If we do not resist, there's nothing for him to act upon. He needs men and women that will stand up and show themselves strong so that he can show himself strong. Joash was timid. He showed little zeal for the things of God. and So in, 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 by being that way, he limited what God could do. He limited what God could do. The story of Ziklag, David shows a different kind of king. David, whose heart was after God, begins a time of turning from Ziklag. And we see step by step, little bit by little bit, a coming together, a coming together of God's people, a coming together of a great army, victory after victory, men and churches and people, finally until he's crowned king in Hebron, then king crowned in the city of David, then king crowned over Israel and Judah. This was the great king that all other kings would be judged by because he had this passion and he allowed God. He'd get a word from God. He'd do it. Do I take, do I go up? No, he says, don't go up. Wait till you hear the rustling of the sound of the army and the mulberry trees. Do I go up? Yes. This time split your army. One in front, one. He, he had all kinds, but he heard God. It was a process, I admit that, and it was a time of alignment, but I believe that we're in such a time in history right now.
God never intended those of us who are known by his name to be like everybody else. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't smell like the world. We shouldn't be acting like the world. There should be something different about us. We are a new generation, and we've seen a generation that was marked by superstars in our past. I think of my mentors, and they were all superstars. I am not a superstar. We're entering into a time when God will allow himself to show himself strong by means of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. There will be no superstars. There will be no one-man bands. There will be no, but we'll have men of God. Hopefully, I'll be one that will lay down their lives for the sheep and help raise up that great army. You're the answer. The standard is not just higher. It's not even on the same page. We are in the end times. Amid all the turmoil, we must press into God. We must press beyond the veil of our flesh. We have to get beyond ourselves. We have to prepare for what God is doing in us and through us. This is a season for the remnant to stand up. It's time for you and I to act as catalysts for change. I believe that God will begin to release his fire into the hidden layers of darkness and corruption and wickedness that manipulate this world's infrastructure. To begin to expose them. He is. He's ripping their masks off right now. And it's time, the time in which the remnant realigns. And it's time that we push back. Two scriptures and I'll close. Isaiah 13, 2, verse 4. Lift you the banner. The musicians can come. Lift you up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice unto them. Shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Listen to this. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. Time to lift the banner on a high mountain. Exalt the voice unto them. Who's the voice? God's word. God. Shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Guys, it's time for us to go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. That's us. I've also called my mighty ones because of my anger, even them that rejoice in my rightness, my highness. This is Psalm 149. It says, let the high praises of God be in your mouth and a two-edged sword in your hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them judgment written. This is the honor that all of his saints have. Praise ye the Lord. What are those two scriptures talking about? They're talking about pushing back. Pushing back. Stepping up. Pushing back. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? If not me, then who? It's time to push back. We have ridiculous narratives out there. Ridiculous. Nobody even can test them. Some of them are just ridiculous. They don't even make common sense. They don't even hit the, the common the, the, the BS meter is so far over here. Can we just discuss these things? Can we, could we even have a, an open and honest conversation? Could we put truth on the table and talk about it? On a lot of issues. Inside the church and outside the church. 
those of you that are watching. This is the hour. This is the day. This is the time for all of us to get a hold of God. It's a season for you and I to shake off the discouragement, the despair, like David at Ziklag. It's time for you and I to press in beyond the veil of our own flesh. It's not going to be comfortable, I can tell you. Your flesh will hate this. But you get a hold of God. You get a word from God. He'll tell you what to do. Then go do it. We love you. If you need help, there's numbers on the screen right now. Call those numbers. There's a pastor, there's a leader, there's somebody there that can talk to you, can pray with you. Gird yourself up with strength. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those listening as we let them, as we release them from this meeting at this time. Father, we ask that your grace would be mighty upon them, that you would convict us of our sin. That, Father, we would not be the same after hearing this message. Father, somehow you would stir us from our ziklag to where we become all you called us to be. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.